with this being uh, New Year's Eve, uh, I try to go back and think about the, the year that just took place. Uh, and uh, I don't know if you, if you look at TV or, or read um, things on the internet, they'll, they'll have like the 10 biggest stories of, of the year. And, and you go back and you say, wow, that was, that was this year? It seems like it was so long ago. Uh, and it's, it's kind of interesting to, to go back and think about that. So I tried to do that personally, just to go back and, and take stock of, of the year. And, uh, and every year I, I come to the same conclusion, um, God was faithful. Uh, you know, there's, there's ups and downs and, and there's difficulties and there's joys and triumphs. Uh, and, uh, and through it all, once again, uh, God is faithful. Uh, and the reason it's healthy to do that is when we go through our present situations, you know what we can what do you know what conclusion we can come to? God is faithful still. Uh, and so I am confident, even though 2024 hasn't started yet, I'm confident that God will be faithful in, to, in 2024. Uh, and uh, it's good for us to, uh, to remember that. But as I'm thinking about 2024 and, and, the, and the new year, uh, I started thinking about, uh, about Mandeville Bible Church and, and what does God have in store for us in 2024. Uh, and the answer is, we have no idea. Right? We have no idea what can come in, in 2024. Uh, but, uh, but what do we need to, to do, or, or what focus, uh, as we look at the new year, uh, can we have for, for 2024? <clears throat> and I was thinking about <clears throat> evangelism. We need to be a church that shares the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, sometimes I don't always do that well because it, it gets me out of my comfort zone. Uh, and, I, and I know that uh, there might be a lot of people thinking um, that sounds intimidating to, to, share, to share our faith, to share what Jesus Christ has, has done uh, for the world and for, for me personally. That can be an intimidating thing. Uh, we can we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Uh, you know, if, if, we're, if we're being honest, if we say, what keeps you from, from sharing your faith? Uh, There's some people like, I've got no issue with that, and that's fantastic. Uh, for others, it's what if I say the wrong thing? What if, I have, what if they have a question I can't answer? Uh, what if um, I, I sin in front of them, and now, and now my testimony is... Uh, is ruined and 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 all of these unknowns come uh, and it can make it can make sharing the good news of Jesus Christ difficult to do um, we can we can scare ourselves into silence uh, um, sometimes uh, if we if we hold it all in and it finally comes out how does it come out we give them the whole nine yards right uh, that th that is actually a, a fitting metaphor um, I always wondered, yeah, where do these sayings come from? Uh, and a buddy of mine who has useless information, um, <laughs> as most guys do, right? Uh, <clears throat> he, I, you know, I was talking about that, and he said, oh, I know where that comes from. Uh, and so some of you are, you're like, if you don't remember anything about Jesus this morning, you're going to remember this. Uh, the whole nine yards ammunition for the machine guns came in nine-yard clips. And so if you gave them the whole nine yards, you... And sometimes we do that with our faith, don't we? 
uh, and, uh, and we just blow them away. Uh, and, that, uh, and we're worried about that, or we, we, will we say too much, too little? It, it can be intimidating. So I thought it would be good for us this morning to recognize that there are three roles in evangelism. And that's what we're going to look at this morning before returning to our study through the book of Exodus next week. Uh, but three roles in evangelism. Jesus had a famous conversation in John chapter 4. He spoke to a woman at a well. Now that might not seem like such a major conversation, uh, but there were many reasons why this conversation was extraordinary. First of all, Jesus was speaking to a Samaritan. The Samaritans and the Jews avoided conversations. They didn't like each other. Samaritans were partially biological Jews, but had a whole lot of pagan practices as part of their life and religion. Perhaps the, the biggest uh, irk that the Jews had with the Samaritans is that the Samaritans denied that Jerusalem was the center of religious life, and they chose their location, Mount Gerizim, within Samaritan land, <clears throat> as the real center of religious life. So the fact that Jesus, being a Jewish man, speaking to a Samaritan uh, woman was, was out of the ordinary. Secondly, the Samaritan woman was not readily accepted within her own community. <clears throat> Jesus spoke to her while she was getting water from the community well, and she was there all alone. She was alone because nobody wanted to be there with her. The the woman at the well wasn't appreciated by the other women. And so they didn't get water with her. She went at her own time. And you have to understand that was a very social uh, chore that the women in the community participated in together. All right, the, we talked about it at the office, you know, the, the talk around the water cooler. Uh, well, the women had the talk around the well. Uh, and daily when they would go get the water, they would all go together, and that would be their, their social interaction time. And she is there by herself. Uh, Jesus reveals the reason why she was not accepted. In John 4, verses 16 through 18, Jesus said to her, <clears throat> Go call your husband and come here. This is after they've had a bit of a conversation already. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. That's why she wasn't readily accepted by the other women, is because they didn't trust her. She already had had five husbands and was living with another. I, I don't want her getting a hold of my guy. I don't want her ruining my life. And so she was shunned for that. Everyone would have thought this woman was unredeemable. Yet, Jesus tells her that he is the Messiah, the Christ, prophesied about in Scripture. Sometimes, we think that we are the ones who determine who can get saved and who is incapable. Sometimes we think we are the ones that determine such things. As a teenager, I had a youth group activity where the church group went miniature golfing, and we stopped at McDonald's for dinner on the way back home. One of the girls in the group walked up to a rough-looking guy. He was scary-looking to a genteel crowd. 
She walked up to him and gave the absolute worst gospel presentation I have ever heard in my life. It was completely based off his rough-looking appearance and lacked any nuance or gentleness. There wasn't any hint of respect when she spoke to him. So she walked up to him and bluntly said, if you don't trust Jesus as your Savior, you're going to hell. And then she walked away. I told you it was the worst gospel presentation I've ever heard. However, what I did when I first saw the guy was much worse. I saw his rough appearance and judged him as an unsaved person as well. Rather than approaching him with the worst gospel presentation of all time, I determined that he was, that he was beyond saving and then ignored him completely. We must make sure that as a church, we don't determine who can receive God's salvation and who cannot. We don't want to be a church that values only very polite sinners or sinners from specific economic class or only sinners from certain housing developments and neighborhoods. I can't take the attitude that I only want to hang out with sinners that fit in with me. The, the disciples made that mistake. Their thought was, why waste time on her? Would you even want her to follow you if she was willing to? We have enough trouble finding acceptance as it is. If word got out that you talked to this kind of person, what would they think? Those were some of the common thoughts that they had, and it's demonstrated as you read through John chapter 4. Perhaps some of the disciples couldn't get past their own prejudices concerning her Samaritan background. Here's where we get a bit of, of how they felt about this. In verses 27 through 30, just then his disciples came back after they, they spoke and, and after Jesus had spoken to the woman and, and gave her this information, she, she left. This news was too good to keep to herself. Uh, and so she, she goes out. Uh, just then the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Now while this is going on, the disciples urged Jesus to eat something. But Jesus told his disciples that he has food they have no knowledge of. Jesus was speaking beyond the physical. He was saying that he was finding his satisfaction and seeing an outcast Samaritan uh, bring the attention of the whole town to Jesus with the intention that they might hear from the Messiah and believe in the Christ, just as she had done. Jesus was finding satisfaction in that. But the disciples would only think about food, so they started asking each other, who gave them food? We didn't know who was the one who did that. They could only think, uh, they could only think about the physical and not the spiritual part of it. So Jesus explained to them a little further. Look at verses 34 through 35. Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are ripe for harvest. That's true for us as well. That's true for us as well. If we look around, uh, we'll see all sorts of people who, who who desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. All right? Just have to look around. 
Uh, but who is Jesus imploring the disciples to see? The Samaritans that were quickly approaching Jesus and the disciples were ready to hear the good news that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. But the disciples weren't ready to speak it. They had already predetermined not this group. The only reason they were in Samaria was it was the quickest way from, from Galilee down to Jerusalem. Uh, and in fact, a lot of times, uh, the, uh, the Jews would avoid that area altogether and add time to their travel uh, just so they could avoid that area. Uh, I'll admit that I have done something similar. I'm, I'm a Midwest guy here, so you might not know these things. Um, uh, one time I didn't do it, and I had white-knuckle driving the entire time. Uh, to avoid a toll, I drove from Chicago around Lake Michigan uh, and, uh, and, and into, into Michigan. If you know your geography, that means that you have to travel through the armpit of the Midwest, otherwise known as Gary, Indiana. Uh, <laughs> now you can say, oh, aren't you going to offend people from Gary, Indiana? They are unoffendable because <laughs> they live in Gary, Indiana. Uh, it is a, a rough, rough area. Uh, and so a lot of times you'll take a different way just to, to avoid Gary, Indiana. Well, the disciples and Jesus were traveling through Samaria. Uh, and, uh, but the idea wasn't, we're not traveling through here to have ministry. We're not traveling through here to reach the, the lost. These people are unreachable. They're worthy of the gospel. Who amongst us is? But Jesus is imploring them to, to the disciples to see that the Samaritans were quickly approaching. Uh, and Jesus and the disciples, they were quickly approaching, and, and the Jesus and the disciples and uh, and the, the disciples did not think that their job was to proclaim Jesus to Samaritans. As they said, in their minds, Samaritans were unsavable. So Jesus confronts their prejudice, and they're placing limits on what God can do. Jesus explained further to his disciples about how evangelism works and the three roles played in evangelism. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, is we're going to look at these three roles and verses 46 through 48 of John chapter 4. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. And it is true, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others have, had already done the work. And now you will get to gather the harvest. So what are the three roles? The first one we see is the laborer. Who is the laborer? The laborer are believers, those that have already trusted Christ as their Savior. Congratulations, you have a job. My, my brother and family were here this, uh, for Christmas, and their youngest is a, a kindergartner and, uh, and is... Uh, he was watching, um, he was watching my daughters put together a desk uh, that they had gotten for, for Christmas. And he, he, was, he was watching, he was into it. And, uh, and I kind of noticed how intently he was looking. And so my, my brother said, uh, tell him what you want to do, when you, what you want to do for work when you grow up. And he looks at me and he says, I want to be a worker. And I said, awesome, we need, we need more workers. We need more workers. Uh, well, believer, you are a laborer. You are a worker. Uh, that's the role you have. Uh, the second 
There we go. The second role uh, is the harvest. The harvest are unbelievers who have yet to trust Christ as their Savior. Look at the harvest, it says. And then lastly, we have the sender, Jesus, the Son of God. Perhaps you have already experienced this and you know this for a fact. Or maybe you haven't yet had the opportunity or, or uh, had this occur for you, but I'm, I'm telling you right now, there is nothing cooler, there is nothing more satisfying or more exciting than being the last one involved in God's saving a lost sinner. It says, what joy awaits for both for both the laborer and the unsaved person who hears the good news of Jesus Christ, perhaps for the 18th time, and trust Jesus as their Savior. What joy awaits. There is nothing better, nothing better than that. So those are the three roles of evangelism. And what we're, uh, that's involved in, in evangelism, we have the, the laborer, the one who shares the good news. You have the harvest, the one who hears the good news, and you have Jesus, who is the one who sends the laborer to get the harvest. Those are the three roles. But we want to understand this a little better, so let's understand the, the unbeliever. Let's understand better those that, uh, that are called to be harvested. Uh, look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 2. Uh, it was bigger on my computer screen when I put this up. Uh, I saw it real good. Uh, so, uh, if not, just Ephesians 2, 1 through 2, and, and if you can't read it, just listen as I go, or write it down, and you can look it up later. It says, once, and, Jesus, and this is Paul writing to people who, who are believers, the church in Ephesus, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So what do we learn about the unbeliever according to Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 2? It describes them as being dead. That's a pretty harsh term, right? It's not like uh, uh, mostly dead, right? All dead. You were dead. And then he goes on to say that you were followers of Satan. Well, that seems judgmental, doesn't it? That seems harsh, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe, but is it accurate? Yeah. So when we are labored workers going to those who are, who are lost, uh, they're lost because they follow Satan. We go a little further in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, verses four through 3 and 4. It says there, if we preach, if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. They're described here as blinded, can't see, don't understand. You know the frustration about wearing glasses and then forgetting where you put them? You need glasses to be able to find them. 
Here it describes lost as blind. Blind. In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, But people who aren't spiritual can't receive these truths from God's Spirit. It all sounds foolish to them, and they can't understand it. For only those who are spiritual can understand what the Spirit means. Spiritually foolish. Spiritually foolish. Unable to understand spiritual things. In, in this, it, who, can, who can understand the, the mind you know, of an animal? Only the animal could, could understand. I, I go outside and I, I hear the birds uh, sometimes sound real good and sometimes sound real obnoxious. Uh, and uh, and I, have, I have no idea what, what, they're, what they're doing. Um, they're not, you know, I don't think their purpose is to intentionally wake me up before I want to be, be uh, awakened, but, uh, but some of those birds have that ability. I have no idea. It takes a bird to understand a bird. Uh, for the spirit, it takes a spiritual person who has the Holy Spirit residing within them to understand spiritual things. Uh, and uh, unbelievers don't have the spirit residing within them. So it's foolishness to them. Perhaps you've had times where you have, have spoken about why you're doing something that you're doing, and a, and a lost person has absolutely no idea what motivates you or why you're doing what you do. Have no idea. And you try to explain it to them, and they're just not going to understand it. It's just spiritual foolishness to them. To sum this up, unbelievers are totally unable to do anything to escape their lost condition. On their own, they don't even know they're lost. They are spiritually dead, separated from God. They are blinded by Satan and instinctively follow him instead of God. They are spiritually foolish. The question isn't, I mean, how is it anybody gets saved? When you read that through, through how, how unbelievers are described, how does anybody get saved? The surprise isn't that people are lost, Right? It's that they ever get found. That's the surprise. Well, what's the answer to that? Well, we have to understand what God's role in evangelism is. Understanding God's role in evangelism. Here's what Jesus said in John 6, 44. For no one, come, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. Raise them up. So what's God's role in evangelism? God is the one who draws unbelievers to Jesus. Uh, you can watch on YouTube, and this is fun to watch. Uh, you can watch shepherd go, and all of the sheep are kind of congregated together, and, and the shepherd will, will call out, and only the sheep that belong to him will leave the, the, the group, and they'll come to the shepherd. If a different shepherd were to come and, and call out to them, those sheep wouldn't come. They would stay right there. And, and you can watch this on YouTube, and it's amazing. it's amazing to see the response on that. But it's the Father that draws unbelievers to Jesus. Paul, who many consider the greatest evangelist to ever live, here's what he said uh, in his, in his uh, letter to the church at Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted the seed in your hearts. Apollos watered it, 
but it was God who made it grow. The church of Corinth was having some difficulty. They were very uh, fractured. You see, you had people in the church. They, they started coming to the church back when, when Pastor Paul was there, and others said, yes, but the best preaching we heard was from Apollos, and that's, that's when I started coming. And, and you had all these groups who, who had their who had their their preacher, their pastor, the, the one that they came and and it, perhaps in the in the church in the seating, they all all the ones who were who were you know well this is we were we were here for this time, but oh we were here before that on this time yeah but this is when the church really did this and and they all sat together and it was fractured and Paul's writing to them saying okay I came and I I planted the seed uh, Apollos is the one who came and and watered it but who's the one responsible that made it grow. God was the one who made it grow. God is the one who causes growth. God is the one who gives life. We're going to try to plant a garden this year. And sometimes we've done this in the past and we've had bumper crops. We had, we had so much eggplant and, uh, and okra. We had, we, we had to look up recipes because we got tired of, of eating it the same way. How else, how else can we eat this? Uh, and, uh, um, and the family didn't mind having fried okra or fried eggplant. We, we, we did all right with it. And we look forward to the next year. I planted in the same spot. I planted the year before. I did the exact same preparation I did the year before. And I got one eggplant and no okra. <laughs> and I, what did I do wrong? Uh, you know, the, my mom could kill a plant. Oh my goodness, uh, she could kill a plant. We we did better with plastic plants. Yeah, we we did all right with that. Sometimes you can give the gospel message, and people respond. And sometimes you give it, and it seems like nothing. Uh, I've spoken at uh, at Camp Pearl for Senior High Week, and uh, and one year I did it, and. On Thursday night, they have the, the kids who trusted Christ as their Savior come and, and give their testimony, and many kids, lots of kids. And, uh, and I pat myself on the back, and I say, you nailed it, Berg. Sometimes I call myself Berg. Uh, you nailed it, Berg. You nailed it. And then the next year I went, and nobody responded. Oh, wow, you stink, Berg. Who do you think you are? God is the one who causes the growth. God is the one who gives life. In Matthew 28, before Jesus sends, uh, he says this to his disciples. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus do there? He sends them. He sends them. God is the one who desires unsaved people to trust Christ as Savior. God the Spirit is the one who convicts and convinces the world of sin. Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. 
Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. God is the one who draws people to himself. God is the giver of life. So what's my role? What's our role? The role of the believer. In Scripture, you will not find that the believer is tasked with the responsibility of another's salvation. The passage we read earlier, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 6, uh, goes on, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. What's our role? Well, Paul says for him and Apollos, he was the planter. Apollos watered the seed, but it was God who made it grow. You might be the first person to share the gospel with another. That used to be hard, right? Because you couldn't help but hear the gospel in some way. And, and now I, I, we have a biblically illiterate society, uh, and, and we, have to, we have to recognize that. Um, you know, it, uh, it, it used to be, if you looked at, uh, uh, if you looked at Paul and, and his, his, uh, his sermon uh, amongst, amongst the Jewish congregations, um, he assumed in his, in his preaching that they had a background of Scripture, because they did. Was it his same approach when he got to Mars Hill? Completely different, because these people have no background. In America, we have to recognize that we're not in the place where people have that background anymore. We're, we're, we're dealing with Mars Hill. We're dealing with people who have no knowledge of, of, of God, of, of Scripture, uh, and, and we need to, to recognize that. So you might be the first person to tell another that Jesus died for their sins, that sins separated them from God because God is perfect and holy, and because God is perfect and holy, he can't have sin before him. You might be the first one to share that news with somebody that Jesus is the one who paid the price for sin, that Jesus is the one who died for them. You might be the first one. Or you might be the 22nd person to share that with them. There's a, a, a training that, um, that I took called the Weaver's Ministry, and in this, uh, they, they talk about your story, my story, God's story is the approach that they take with that because people like stories. Uh, and so you hear their story, you tell them uh, a personal anecdote of your own, and then you go to, to God's word and say, Here, but here's God's story. Uh, and in this they stress, have you failed if someone doesn't trust Christ as their Savior after you share the good news with them? Not at all. You might not know it, but maybe God used you to help that person take one more step in their understanding. Right? Maybe you, or maybe something else that they heard, they finally put it together and have that aha moment that they don't get right away, but maybe a few years later, something happens where they get it. It's not a failure. It's not a failure when you share the good news of Jesus Christ and, and, they, and a person, the lost, doesn't respond immediately in salvation. It's not a failure. It's not a failure because the purpose is to glorify God. And God is glorified either way. Uh, and so keep that in, in, in mind when you're doing it. I'm successful because God, God was glorified because he was made known. Uh, but that's planter and water. Uh, the focus should be on the action, not the result. The focus should be on the action, not the result. Uh, and Luke 10 verse 2, 
It says these were his, his instructions to them. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. Believers, we are laborers on the farm. We don't own the farm. We're laborers. We just work the fields as directed by God. And a very specific action mentioned by Christ is to pray to the Lord for more workers. Pray that people in our church would be motivated for evangelism. Pray for opportunities for people in this church to share their faith. Pray that we would be an evangelistic church. There are people in this church that if they get a delivery from Amazon, I know that that delivery driver will hear about Jesus. Right? If a contractor does work on their house, they will hear about the greatest carpenter to ever walk the earth. Pray that we will have more people in our church with a drive for evangelism. In Acts 1.8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We are witnesses. Witnesses. Not convincers extraordinaire. I think that's what scares a lot of us from sharing our faith, is that we don't, we don't realize that we are we are witnesses, not convincers extraordinaire. That's not what we're called to. What if my message is rejected or they reject me? That is going to happen. That is going to happen. Why? Because Jesus was rejected. Did he lack ability? Did he lack knowledge? Did he ever sin and mess up his testimony? Even though Jesus had perfect knowledge and wisdom, even though his life was perfect, Jesus and his message were rejected, overwhelmingly rejected. So give yourself a break. Okay? Our job is to give witness for what God has done for us. What did Christ do for you? How have his actions changed your life? That is what it means to witness. That's what it means to witness. Okay. So what now? What do we take from this? Don't try to take over God's job. He doesn't want you to take over because you're not going to do as nearly good of a job as he will. So don't try to take over his job. It's the spirit that convicts the world of sin. So trust the Holy Spirit to do the work of the spirit. All, all you, you don't have to try to argue him. You don't have to twist arms. You don't have to try to drag him to heaven. None of that will work. All you have to do is witness. Here's what Jesus did. He died on the cross to pay for my sin. And he rose from the grave proving that his death was sufficient. And then you could witness about your own life. Before I trusted Christ as my Savior, my life was like fill in the blank. After I trusted Christ as my Savior, here's what I experience now. And you can be a witness of your own experience. Don't try to take over God's job. That's the first one. Why? Because the lost are beyond your ability to convince. The lost are beyond your ability to convince. Uh, and, uh, and sometimes you can, well, you can be exactly right, but that doesn't mean they're going to, you could win the argument, 
But that doesn't mean that they're going to trust Christ as their Savior. Because we're stubborn people, aren't we? Oh my goodness, I had a stubborn older brother. I had three older brothers, but I had one that was stubborn beyond belief. And we would come home from school uh, and sit around uh, the dinner table, and my parents would, would ask the question that parents ask around the dinner table, what did you learn at school today? And I was in second grade. I remember this because I'm still scarred. I'm still upset. And I said, we learned about bananas. I like bananas. We learned about bananas. Oh, what did you learn? We learned that bananas actually grow on a bush, not a tree. And my brother said, no, that's not true. But, well, my teacher said it was true. Your teacher's wrong. How do you know? So, I said, let's get the encyclopedia. Kids, it was like, let's go online and Google, all right? So we went downstairs, got out the encyclopedia, pulled it out, looked at bananas, read through it. Bananas grow on bushes. I win. Except my brother said, encyclopedia is wrong. <laughs> How can you win with people like that, right? Well, it takes the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, recognize that Saving the lost is beyond our ability, but it's not beyond God's ability. Recognize that God alone will save. God has never asked the believer to do more than proclaim the truth. Right? The second thing we need to do is we need to pray to God to send more laborers. Matthew 9.37, it says, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. What's the solution? So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. 2024, are you willing to commit to pray for Mandeville Bible Church that more people would share their faith? Now here's the thing. If you're praying that for others, what does that kind of do? Yeah, I'm pointing out, but I got three other fingers pointing where? Right back at me, right? Uh, and so, no, I won't pray that. No, pray that, pray that. Pray for opportunities, because when you pray for opportunities, you know what you, what, what you notice? There's all these opportunities that you might not have recognized before. But when you're praying for it, and then you see those opportunities much clearer. And you actually, you have this thought in your, in your mind saying, Lord, I know I prayed for opportunities, and here's one right in front of me, but I didn't mean it. No, you say, all right, Lord, here's the opportunity. You showed it to me. I trust you. Let me go share the good news of Jesus Christ. We need to gain wisdom to take advantage of the opportunities that are in front of us all the time. Colossians 4 or 5 says this, Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Live wisely. Recognize that a lot of our testimony is based on what we do, not even on what we say. It's based on what we do. Christians, we, we, we're a weird group of people. We don't think like the world thinks. We don't prioritize the way the world prioritizes. Uh, and it stands out without even effort. Uh, I'm not saying fake it. I'm just saying live your life. And when you live your life for the glory of God, it's going to stand out. It's what you do. Speak when it is time. But it doesn't always need to be both barrels. But take the opportunity when presented. And again, when you pray for opportunities, 
you will recognize them when they come. I'd like to see a bunch of folks here at Mandeville Bible Church, but I'd like to see them here because they were lost and God found them. And God used our church, the people that come here, who learn the word of God, who then go out and speak the word of God, witness about what Jesus Christ has done for them. Uh, I don't, I don't want to see, uh, our, our goal isn't to have other churches closed because we take all of their members. Uh, our goal is that the lost would be found uh, and, uh, and we could help each other grow uh, here as a, as a family at Mandeville Bible Church. And I'd love to see that in 2024. Consider, consider when you talk to God today, consider asking God to send more laborers. Ask God for the opportunities that you'll recognize the opportunities when they come. And to not have the pressure be on your shoulders to be uh, extraordinary in your presentation of the gospel. You see, that's us saving people. And when we save people, they're not actually saved, are they? It's when God saves them. Right? So all we need to do is witness. All we need to do is witness. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, everybody here who has put their faith and trust in your Son as their Savior had somebody who shared with them. Somebody took the time uh, so that they would understand the good news of Jesus Christ. That they would understand that they are a lost sinner, separated from you. Somebody explained to them that it's not by works that they're saved, but by, by grace through faith. It's the, it's the work of Jesus Christ, not of, not of themselves. Somebody explain that, Father. Uh, and, then they, and then they explained and, and told how your son rose from the dead, proving that sin and death had been conquered when he sacrificed himself on the cross. Somebody shared that with us, Father. Help us be the ones to, to share that as well so that we can share in the joy of their salvation. That you would use us, Father, the foolish and weak things of the world to, to bring about an eternal life that will be lived with you forever and that we won't try to take credit or think we did a good job but father that we would stand back and be in awe of you and how you worked it out and how you were in control all along uh, and and father that we would praise you and thank you for it we ask this in jesus name amen